Mesdames et Messieurs, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles Daniel MacDonald on World Radio Paris and Monaco. Brought to you in association with Force Magazine. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio France, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show exclusively for the WRP France Network. Coming up in today's show, I'll be carrying on with my comprehensive review of the recent series of fashion weeks, concluding with Le Grand Dame, the Paris Couture Collections for Autumn Winter 2023-24. Before the biannual haute couture shows kicked off in Paris, there was panic among the select few travelling to the French capital. Riots, protests and thousands of arrests had dominated headlines following the death of a North African teenager on the outskirts of Paris, raising concerns as to whether the haute couture shows would, or even could, go ahead while the country was heading towards a state of emergency. Celine cancelled its show, set to be the first couture outing from its creative director, Hedy Sleman, who wrote on Instagram that a fashion show in Paris, while France and its capital are bereaved and bruised, seems inconsiderate and totally misplaced. For the rest of the maisons, however, it was a case of the show must go on. Why? Well, there have always been rumours about the precarious state of haute couture. Its future has been debated and doubted time and time again, ever since Cristobal Balenciaga willfully shuttered his couture house back in 1968 because he left there was no one else to dress. To be clear, we're talking about the very specific term haute couture, which, though tossed around in fashion parlance, is in fact a strictly defined law in France, referring to the one-of-a-kind high dressmaking, a direct translation that only a handful of fashion houses are permitted to call haute couture, the sacrament rules, which are French sticklers, makes haute couture sky high. The Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture decrees that a garment must be made in order by hand, and couture clients who own the same style. Anything that falls short of such regimental rigour while using the hallowed term haute couture is practically punishable by the guillotine. In many ways, haute couture has always been in crisis. It survived world wars, economic disasters, and generally, the current cultural appetite for eating the rich. Questions are always asked, is it just an indulgence of the 0.001%? Marketing vehicle at the zenith of fashion's pyramid to boost sales, or is it a laboratory of pure creativity, uncompromised by commercial concern? Is this the closest fashion can get to fine art? Well, the answer always comes down to the human aspect. After all, mature is ultimately about the craft. Thousands of hours, countless hands, or les patiments as they're known in the ateliers, and the world's most precious materials are transformed by highly skilled dressmakers into clothes that last a lifetime. Sure, only a few can afford them, but what couture encapsulates the existential amount of fashion itself. This is an opportunity to ask big questions about fashion in relation to the wider world. And that said, here's everything you need to know about this season's couture shows. 
Fendi Couture Autumn Winter 23. And when Kim Jones took the reins of Fendi, one of the first appointments was Delfina de la Pres as the Artistic Director of Jewelry, a woman whose effort with elegance has offered him endless full inspiration. Since, and a masterclass in speaking the family's language, his latest Couture collection offered her opportunity to expand her own by launching Fendi's first array into high jewellery, with the clothing created to amplify its staggering sparkle. Second skin drapery and fluid, fluid forms balance the drama of their presence in a masterclass of making diamonds appear almost like quiet luxury. Kim is obsessed with the woman who buys and wears his couture, and even spoke to their quest for the ultimate elegance, expertly crafted and without gimmicks. Even as gems descended from the necklaces and earrings to find their place nestled within the Persian lamb, performing fantastic mosaics of jewels, they maintained a sense of ease, a struggling nonchalance, and what could possibly be more elegant than that? Over at Valentino Couture, Autumn Winter 23, and on the penultimate evening of the Couture show, the fashion pack settled in for a long journey to the Valentino show. Healed 30 miles north in Paris in the idyllic sections of the 16th century, Chateau de Chantilly, fairy tale Cassia that you probably recognise from many films that have been shot there. This was the setting of the grandest proportions, apt for the real-life princesses sitting in the plain air, of the gardens of the castle, surrounded by fountains and lush gardens while the sunset turned a sky, each colour as the show commenced. But on the first look, worn by Kaya Gerber, was a bit more modern-day Cinderella. Pre-makeover montage, in a pair of slouchy jeans, an oversized white shirt, and flat shoes emblazoned with bows and crystal earrings that could have been haphazardly snatched from the ceilings of the chateau. Jeans, you ask? Yes, jeans, except these were reprised from classic Vintai Levi's that had actually been made of silk gazar, entirely embroidered in microbeads and dyed 80 different shades of indigo to resemble denim. But yes, in fact, they were still jeans. Welcome to the new world of order in 2023, with luxury surrealness as Dali painting. Not since the days of Marie Antoinette dressing up, or down rather, has a simple shepherd dress in the chateau seen such an opulent display of ordinary clothes. Valentino's Pierpaolo Piccioli described the look as simply paradoxical, trompe l'oeil, and he's not alone in his examination of everyday basics. Bottega Benetta's leather jeans cost more than a second-hand Volvo, and there have been one-of-a-kind distressed jeans at Balenciaga since the house arrived on the haute couture schedule. It's somehow paradoxical to a show in historical sight, and I believe this is a metaphor for status and power. It's a symbolism that has to be questioned and recontextualised, Paolo told journalists. He borrowed from the artist Constantine Bracucci's maxim that simplicity is complexity resolved.
Suffice to say, there were more jeans, some with outrageously ornate gold jewellery, as well as dramatic robes. Some were even ermine. Rubble-faced cashmere capes, towering feathered headdresses, and billowing silk gowns, with a handful of disco goddess gowns plunging necklines and big donna summer hair. All in all, it came to Pia Paolo's masterful colour palette, zingy and saturated in every shade of the rainbow. But especially in most cases, when it came to that signature deep Valentino scallop. The simplicity of it could be found in the queen lines of column dresses and tunics that were softly draped and cleating the bias, even if many of them came with labour-intensive embroideries and in vibrant colours that gave maximum impact to even the most minimal of shapes. It was a tale of two moods, which feels up for right now. We're living in strange times and, after all, in which everything is everywhere and all at once. Chateaus and protests, quiet luxury and blingy logomania, jeans and haute couture. At Balance the Aga Couture, how do you make couture modern? asked one journalist backstage when the Balenciaga Couture show. You just saw, said Demna, and he's spot on. And what he's achieved just after three collections, which have revived both the spirit and the ateliers of this brand's founding father, is a case in point. Never before has historic craftsmanship and unparalleled refinement of couture resonated with a new generation in ways that he's managed. After all, how does couture make global headlines? The invention of Dilna's couture, he explained, is now about precisely the opposite. We live in an industry which is very critical of state, full of fake creativity and imposterism in fashion. Couture, to me, is the only tool, the only way to shed light on what's making real essence of this job. Making real clothes the essence of creativity and not the endless marketing and selling that has cannibalised the whole industry. Hence the painstaking precise evolutions of this craft, showcased through razor-sharp silhouettes, windswept clothing which moulded in making defying gravity. Astonishingly hand-painted troubled canvases, his new take on the non-core values were rigorously exacted, the results of endless streams of fittings, elevating the banal into the exceptional. I like the couture that you see, and I also like the couture you don't see, he said. But look, Demna is a designer of a generation. He knows how to make a meticulously evolving look, the metias he reverves while upending the algorithm. What he's working on in the storied 10th Avenue George V Salon is how to adopt the language of his forefather through the current day. This look, a reimagination of the house model Daniel Slavik's favourite Balenciaga dress, originally made for her back in 1966 by Cristobal himself, has firmly established the bridge between then and now. The last, a CAD-designed 3D-printed gown of armour, worn by Demna's own version of a house model, Eliza Douglas, and translated into Cristobal's sculptural forms, which stood away from the body into the video game territory. A space familiar to the house which has already played in the fact and the realm. Christabel used to say the metiers were his armour, and they were in place where I reconnect with myself. Protection, a safe space. Fashion has all too few of these currently, and he knows that better than most. But he's certainly expanding the boundaries of his own. 
Jean-Paul Gaultier Couture, and this season is the fifth time that a guest designer has been selected to interpret Jean-Paul Gaultier's work. The latest candidate being Julien Dossena, whose day job is creative director at Paco Rabanne. Max Julian's couture debut, given that he usually designs ready to wear, and really, that's the wonderful thing about Gautier's current revolving door format of visiting designers. Somewhere between Jean-Paul and Paco, two fashion legends have their own distinct rebellious streaks. Julian dreamt up a love letter to Paris, with each look named after the city's monuments, soundtrack to street noise and footsteps on the city's cobblestones. In a dark space at Gautier's Rue Saint-Martin HQ, with seats so tightly packed in that guests were almost knee to knee, there was a nocturnal mood in the air as Natalia Vodianova opened the show in a dramatically long drag military tailcoat, embroidered with golden scissors, Eiffel Towers and Penetil, riffing on palace liveries and the pomp and splendour of the official uniforms. With a braid of gold wrapped around her, slick back tail like a Grecian goddess. Immediately, it was clear that this would be a roll call of some of Gautier's greatest hits, seen through the eyes of an adoring fan who has introduced his own hyper-modern take on boho femininity and space-age sequence during his time at Paco Rabanne. Each look told a story of Julian's lifelong respect for Jean-Paul, who first blasted out his television as a child growing up in Brittany. Jean-Paul was the first designer I ever saw on TV when I was very young, Julian said in an interview. Watching him, I understood for the first time, oh, fashion can be a job. What he did became, infused into many cultural elements and backgrounds in general. So there were references to his favourite moments. He was naked under a few slip dress with a merkin of black pearls from Gautier's Adam and Eve show and the giant trapper hats and floor-sweeping sharper black coats from the controversial Rabbi Sheet collection. There was also design signatures that have now become the canon of fashion folklore. Marabou renditions of the Breton Stripe, chainmail editions of Punk Tartan, underwear as outerwear, and the bustiers with bone breasts that immediately bring to mind Madonna, Circle Bland Ambition albeit entirely in silver chainmail as a double salute to Jean-Paul and Paco. Halfway through, there were audible gasps as Ashley Rajamain emerged in a silver chainmail, with an anamorphic chain connected to the suit of a man behind her, carrying the chain. It was one of those oh-so-couture moments, not just a gimmick, but a reminder that sometimes clothes, often at Gautier, can be a spectacular entertainment at the hands of a great designer. Romani Privé Couture, and as fashion's most decorated eminence, Mr. Romani knows what he is doing and, more importantly, who he is speaking to. He's one of the few designers on the couture calendar who is part of the world for which he designs. A billionaire in a tailor's smock, his own yacht, a 65-metre black super yacht main can often be spotted on the shores of Italy, where he's a sprawling estate and there are multiple big-suited Romani hotels. Jet, the other homes in Saint-Tropez, Antigua, New York, Milan and San Maurice, to name a few. Mr. Romani doesn't need to aimlessly wonder what the jet set does because he already knows them and his couture serves the needs of the world's elite shoppers. Always one to pick a theme and stick to it, exploring a singular narrative in a myriad of ways, 
This sees Mr. Armani at work to the simple red rose, as the universal of love. Sequined roses, 3D chiffon roses, conceptual roses, hair swirled into roses, roses on shoes as buttons, as chiffon cossages, and bouquets of organzas on capolets, as petal-like perfume sprayed throughout the venue. A rose by any other name. All in all, his signature lumstone silhouettes often heightened by baggled shoulders and streamlined trousers. Occasionally, there was an air of chinoisier through conomandal experiments and lack of red motifs. Brief in these times, but also a reminder of Couture's global clientele. Later on, Mr. Romani will be celebrating his 89th birthday, so it's safe to know he's doing well. At Chanel Couture 23, and what does a perfect day in Paris look like? Well, it's probably a walk along the Seine with a croissant and a black Labrador, a perusal of quayside boutiques for some vintage prints and art books, and a trip to 31 Rue Cambon for a couture fitting, followed by dinner at a brasserie and a night out at Maxim's. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Canel's creative director, Virginie Viard, knows what this world wants from Paris. The classics. And her latest offerings from the couture show was held on the cobblestones along the river. Opened by longtime Chanel ambassador, Halloween de Maigre, who wrote a book titled How to Be Parisian Wherever You Are. Virginie knows that women the world over are obsessed with the idea of La Parisienne and her secrets to insouciance. It's why there are so many tutorial tutorials, style guides and diet books devoted to mystifying the way French women, Parisian women, really manage and look so good. It's what Lily Collins' character in Netflix Elway has been trying to figure out back since the pilot episode. What does a Parisian wear? What does she read? How does she think? What is her attitude to life? It's so closely studied and inspected with every day. Read in the collections of campaign text, all over the world by opposition or intimation, the French woman sets an example that nourishes others. Indeed, this was a collection which was riffed on the pressing hits back of the day, from modish boucle skirts of the Nouvelle by Cinema to wicker baskets and peasant blouses of the left bank in the 70s. The polished primness of the 80s, the decade Virginie began working at the house, and sartorially speaking, the collection took shape of long masculine tweed coats thrown over embroidered skirts and tapered blouses, with a handful of dresses and blouses perfectly embellished with delicate sequined flowers and wild fruit, so they could have been picture perfect. Straw boaters and two-tone Mary Janes completed the look beyond while the occasional silk blouse, Lundstrill's flower basket, and a ruffle of ombre organza brought a playful sense of lightness that can often go amiss in the Elysian fields of haute couture. Sophistication and simplicity, feminine and beauty, as I originally put it. And as her collections prove, it's an age-old recipe for a local success.
officially venturing into Couture for the first time wasn't too much of a leap for Tom Brown, who for all intents and purposes already does Couture. There were no doubts he'd be able to hold his own. Still, the designer made most of his first slot in the Paris Haute Couture calendar with a collection that elevates the signature of his 20-year-old brand, especially that unmistakable grey suit. Bear the no-shows, elements of classic American sportswear filtered through the lens of couture for one night only. The brand's marketing materials are famously devoid of uppercase letters. The show took place on Monday on stage at the Palais Garnier with 2,000 grey-sweat slads, cardboard cutouts filling the audience. Human guests sat either side of the stage itself. Tom Brown shows always tell a story, and this one took place at a train station, as evidenced by train sounds, a large striped bell hanging overhead, brought pigeons and a passenger. The grey-suited Alec Wake, who began the show by sitting in the middle of the stage, atop a pile of chic matching luggage. The rest of the models walked slowly around her as the show went on and the bell chimed, signalling the passage of time. Pigeons, known to inhabit train stations, also featured prominently in the collection itself, sometimes more literally via bird-shaped headpieces and other ones more broadly via gradient grey and white loops that recall most pigeons' natural colouring and footwear that vaguely recalls their feet. Bell motif is also seen throughout in the eye-blocking crotch hats and gilded adornments on the backs of some of those very precarious platform shoes. The show included plenty of other show-stopping headwears as well, including a mohawk-like, crane-shaped hat and an enormously tall, partially deconstructed train conductor cap. The off-kilter grey wigs several models wore also felt like they fell into this category. And speaking of accessories, bags from suitcases to purses, not all of them dog-shaped, but also a focal point of the show, it's more a commercial design decision that's often seen in couture. Of course, couture-level artistry is everywhere in the collection. Even on the more simple tailoring pieces, via trompe-l'oeil techniques, whimsical entrances, and intricately woven knits and rich embroideries. Much of the latter depicts the beautiful aquatic imagery, marine life, lighthouses and rope. Perhaps our passenger is headed somewhere less grey and more tropical. Performer, there was a smattering of extravagant yet covered up gowns, designed to look like a dress, coat and cape all layered together. To close out the show, the future bride, Grace Elizabeth, came out in a white gauzy glittering, leg-bearing suit dress with a very long train. It's what Wake had been waiting for, with two porters carrying her luggage. She waved goodbye and set off on her journey. At Christian Dior Couture 23, white luxury has been percolating for a while on the ready-to-wear wagon, with designers offering up subtle but no less extravagant wardrobe propositions for those wealthy enough not to need to display their wealth in recent seasons. Really in the realm of wealth couture, clients want to expect exactly the opposite, blinding embellishment, like their silhouettes, fantastical gowns for a real-life fairy tale. Dior's Maria Grazia Churi begs to differ. In fact, she pointed out during a preview of her latest couture collection, some Dior clients want one-of-a-kind clothes for every day, even in the office. 
Some of those women don't use couture only for special moments, but also for more professional moments, and they want an entire couture wardrobe. You can understand why then a latest collection was appeared back to the classicism commonly found in the Greco-Roman antiquity and a procession of queen-lined and fussy floor looks that are hinted at the grapery of classical statues and the quietness of minimalism. Into her mood backstage was a quote from Monsieur Dior himself. My dresses are connected to the idea of the clothes of antiquity. I keep an apparent simplicity, and it resonated with Maria Grazia's broader mission to offer construction over embellishment, loosening waists where Dior benched them in. But not everything at Dior is as simple as it looks. Greybird jackets came with artfully pleated cape sleeves, long summery white dresses with hand-stitched filato openwork, floor-sweeping capes and ivory double-faced cashmere as light as a feather, diaphanous goddess gowns with intricate embellishments. Most of the looks came in amco-skinging proportions with the ruminous of Roman togas. And though they may seem simple, the couture wow factor could be found in all other pedal embroideries, weeded lace capes and burnished gold embellishments applied to otherwise paired-back silhouettes. Ecclesiastical splendour meets monastic simplicity. Even in the set requires a closer inspection, and as usual, Dior took over the Musée Rodin in Paris, built a pop-up art gallery meets catwalk in the garden, with walls lined by artworks from Italian designer and artist Marta Roberti, which took more than 480,000 hours of embroidery, by the Shanakaya workshop in Mumbai to complete. Of course, it's incredible to see how much work goes into every stitch, which serves as a reminder that the couture must be seen in real life to be truly appreciated. This seems like an antidote to the bells and whistles spectacles elsewhere. Couture worn by celebrities has become a kind of personal performance, but it can also be simply silhouettes, very comfortable clothes and flat shoes. This is haute couture that prioritises women who will ultimately buy it and wear it, whether it's for a wedding or just another day at the office. Alaya, and it was a case of okay, I know what you're thinking. Alaya may not be a couture house per se, at least not technically, since it shows the day before Couture Week officially kicks off. But it's home to some of the finest dressmaking in Paris, under the creative directorship of Piette Molière. On a breezy summer evening, Piette invited guests to bring their own chairs, an Alaya leather camping stool which acted as the invitation for the show to the Solferino footbridge covered in lovers' padlocks at the bottom of the Mosey d'Orsay. Again, I know what you're thinking. Another fashion show on a bridge. Minutes before the show, Piette personally WhatsApped every single guest with a heartfelt poem to meet on a bridge just before sundown when beauty spreads in the city and colours expand infinitely. That's the thing about Alaya. 
although it may not be the biggest fashion house, is one of the most intimate, and every one of Pieter's shows felt like a personal invitation into his world. Last season, quite literally, we were invited to his Antwerp home. And as for the clothes, they were labours of love, rising on the idea of time. Giving time, taking time, less time and timeless, read the show notes. The elastic notion of time has always had a special meaning at the House of Laia, ensuring its conventions and restrictions, embracing its possibilities, explored through time as an abstract concept, but a material notion, with its signs, signifiers and reflections observed through fashion. A lot of noise is made by fashion houses about the notion of time and how many hours have gone into making a garment that none can light a match to the incendiary ferociously of a liar. Beyond craftsmanship is brilliantly sexy, and this time the models emerged with long ponytails swaying like hip, leotards riding up to whittled waists, pencil skirts and skin-tight dresses with inbuilt padding and corsetry that gave each girl a sartorial BBL. There were use of buttons as a symbol of time, dotting across tailoring as many as 35 in one coat. The ritual of dress, of fastening oneself into a garment, a time of change and reinvention, a promise of future revelation, left unfastening. There were examinations of the extensive archive that Azadine Alaya left behind, symbols of time past and then renewed for today, like the thonged bodysuits, sculptural with others, and balloon sleeve nets. But perhaps the timeliest idea was the push and pull tensions of the ostensible way opposing ideas. Echoing the notion that women contain multitudes, covered up modesties versus knicker flashing sexuality, the buttoned up primnesses of tailoring and pill docked hats versus symbolically kinky latex skirts. These of a tank top juxtaposed with inbuilt corsetry make no mistake. This was a wardrobe for a woman in complete control of her own body, unafraid to embrace sexualism in the most brazen way. And yet it's just as chic as any cliché about La Parisienne, which is why passing bottle mush of tourists looked up in wonder as they witnessed the parade of women crossing a bridge in stilettos and pillbox hats. That sense of duality is what feels timely in 2023. Last but not least at Schiaparelli Couture, after last season, which was about reducing each look to something concise and even sometimes more arresting, instincts were to build the collection in a different way, for a collection that's adventurous, exploratory and daring. Daniel Roseberry explained this for his new show at Schiaparelli, and there was notably less gold than the previous exploration of kitschy Baroque surrealism. Instead, this time, he opted for brushstrokes of his favourite artists as sensorial status signifiers. Jack Whitten's mirrored mosaics became mirror-broken mosaic stitch cardigans and skirts, a playful take on the Grand Dame twin set, apt weather cigarette boxes and flaming ball gown. These were all a homage to Sarah Lucas sculptures. Ribble-like beads in vivid cobalt blue nodded to Eve Klein. Roaches took their shape to form the sculptures of Claude Lalanne. Matisse pamphlets of the whole Regina were interpreted as a dramatic foam monkey hair coat quivering around the body. Daniel and his team even hand-painted a woman's body with a stroke, inspired by Lucien Froude, and then transferred to an image that a stretched silk body stocking 
when each brushstroke was rendered in shimmering palettes clinging to the skin. A surrealist interpretation of a woman's essential closet is how Daniel described his take on wardrobe classic, albeit with a collection in which every look counted towards the extreme vision of clothes as a wearable art. Sculptural proportions jutting away from the body, giant wooden necklaces, exposed corsetry, painted bodies in duvet-like painting, an insane amount of colour and embellishment. You do not need to look closely to get the full effect. In fact, you could argue that this kind of couture resonates on a much broader scale, instantly understandable, if not entirely readable in images and videos that quickly go viral. Chia Pirelli, a house that has roots in crossover between fashion and art, always puts on a show that feels like a serial performance piece. This is fashion for the sake of folly, an opportunity to turn the biggest ideas into the biggest clothes and make use of couture ateliers as a site for experimentation. Daniel is a designer who believes in fashion's power to provoke genuine emotion, not just for those wearing it, but for those simply viewing it online. Rose it shout from the grey slate rooftops of Paris. White luxury, be damned. join me for the next Fashion Mode show, where I'll be catching up with all the latest international fashion news, catching the summer headlines from the City of Light and beyond. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the fashion news on forcmagazine.com and at Force Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, iTunes and Spotify. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on.